Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim here tonight with Lance. Lance, what's up? What's up? What's up? Feels good. How you doing? Good. Episode three aired this past Saturday and another uh, pretty interesting episode. We get into the rag and the tailpipe a little bit. The interview with Kathleen finishes up. Uh, we mentioned some of the persons of interest, the Loon 3. Uh, yeah, w- what do you think? I just think, and I don't know, uh, tell me if you feel the same way, but I feel like every time we watch a new episode, uh, it just sort of keeps ramping up a little bit, and I'm constantly impressed and reassured that this investigation is going in uh, the right direction. Every time we watch an episode, I just shake my head and I say, I, I love the way they're presenting this information. The way that Kathleen's interview was brought back around and, and tied up at the end. Some would say it's, I mean, there are still loose ends with Kathleen at the end of that interview it really does seem like no more than one sister being concerned for another sister and and having that affect her emotionally during a time of stress in her life so you can understand what all of you can understand where that my sister comment comes from and it it's really cool to see that out there finally and people are going to make what they'll make of it you know they'll they'll say that some people are misremembering things or maybe it was this or that. But if you just take it at face value, this is what most siblings would do if receiving a phone call about their other sibling. And and it just seems to make sense. And I was glad to see Art and Maggie bringing that, bringing that around and, and tying it up the best way that they could. Also, we get to see Bob, uh, Lance and I, you and me and, and Maggie went to see our buddy Bob uh, in town, and Bob is actually from the podcast. He was uh, on the West Point episode of this ep- of this podcast. Um, of course, we called him Sam for that, but he was willing to show his face and be known as his real name uh, on this show. So I think that was pretty cool. We talked a bit about Bill Roush, and he kind of vouched for him as far as he knows Bill, that he was a good guy. So I think that was interesting because really that that's one of the only accounts kind of of such um, from people that we've known or talked to. Uh, seems like the Murray family weren't crazy about him. Uh, Julie and Kathleen being being the examples there. Fred said actually said that he seemed that he did like him. It seemed in episode three. Um, but either way, we got to see Bob, and hopefully Bob comes back because there was more of that conversation that we will get into Lance uh, on the air here if uh, the show doesn't go back into it. It was a really cool surprise to see that they introduced Bob in episode three because the bulk of our conversation at that time really wasn't about what he had talked about. And I, and I'm, and I'm really pleased that they, they took that, uh, his perspective of West point and his perspective of, of bill and thought that it was important enough to put it in the, in the show because yeah, we haven't heard from bill. Uh, all we've heard about are people that, um, are sort of on the peripheral of bill, uh, and, not anybody who's really dealt with him in a situation like being at a military academy. 
where some true colors could really come out. Um, yeah, Bob, Bob was great. Bob was great to, to talk to. I, I really do. Like you said, I, I do hope that the, um, the substance of why we were there is, uh, is presented in later episodes. And so the bulk of this episode tonight, we're going to play the audio from our Facebook live chat that we did after the episode aired. It was on Oxygen's Facebook page. You can check that out on Oxygen's page, or we're going to play the audio right here. And uh, if you notice, my voice is a little different. I actually lost it about halfway through this uh, Facebook live um, session, or I started to lose it then. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, Hopefully it'll be sounding normal next week. No, no, no. You don't have to. You don't have to apologize to me. It actually felt like um, kind of a dream come true when uh, when you texted and said that uh, you lost your voice, and I I thought it might have been that 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 woman in Salem that I talked to and gave her the article of clothing that that you own. I'm trying to somehow. <laughs> no, I was say just that. gonna let you go. I was just gonna let you go. Keep going. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep digging yeah, yeah. the hole. Keep keep going. Um, so the loon three is, is really an interesting topic and it seems to be the most common question that comes up, uh, after this episode. So Maggie and Art went to go see Dick Guy, who was an EMT, who was one of the first people on the scene of Mara's accident that night. And him and his partner first noticed the rag hanging out of the tailpipe. And so Dick actually talks about, you know, it, it made him think that someone put the rag in there and waited for the car to stall, you know, and follow Mora's car and then waited for it to stall and then picked her up. And then he started talking about the Loon 3. So I think the show is going to get deeper into the rag and the tailpipe. And I think they're, you know, they're going to have a, a good answer for that uh, in the next episode, in episode four. But for us right now, we should just kind of focus on the Loon 3. Um, so some of the names are actually familiar names to this case and two of them are brothers. And one of them is, is a man who owned a red truck. Uh, so if, if you know this case, well, you'll know what the red truck was, Lance. Do you want to explain what the red truck is? Well, the red truck was um, spotted by someone who was walking along the, the road that night and a red truck passed her by and slowed down. And from her account, she it would it, it seemed like this this the driver the the people operating the red truck um, were looking for somebody, and perhaps they had mistaken her as the person they were looking for because of how long they stopped and considered considered her. Um, she they they the red truck continued on. She walked up to the Swiftwater uh, store up there that's right before the curve uh, that Mora's car um, went off the road, and the red truck was there. She was able to see that it had those wood racks on the on the um, on the bed of the truck. Uh, it was like a medium sized bed. She gave about the best description of a, of a red truck she could give with, you know, not knowing why she, she was trying to remember this. Um, and it seemed like this truck was looking for somebody. So the owners, as far as we know, of this red truck have been connected to the theory of the Loon 3. Right. The, the Loon... 
Loon Mountain had, uh, you know, obviously has, has a lot of uh, workers, but these were three men who were heading to work around the time that Moore went missing. Our locals maybe would have been driving down that road to get to Loon Mountain, and none of them showed up to work that night. So all three of them missed work that night. So it is suspicious, and it is something, if the show doesn't go into deeper, that we will hear Lance and we will talk about these people, and we will get deeper and we will try to uh, get to the bottom of it. But for now, until we can uh, 100% confirm these names, you know, we're not going to really mention their names specifically here. Right, because this theory has been out there for a little while about the red truck, and... It's really it's it's a bit of a, a slippery slope when you start to name names and say that you know, this seems to make sense and it comes together and these you know the two brothers and the other person and they didn't show up for work. Um, if Mora didn't go missing that night, right then and there, and that truck went through um, that road and the the same woman saw that truck and they slowed down because they might have thought that they recognized her, then we wouldn't even be, you know, this wouldn't be an issue. Maybe they, they encountered something later on that prevented them all from going to work. It all just could be a coincidence, but we do have this issue of the red truck and it's never been fully tied up. Um, and we will try to get to the bottom of it the best we can. Uh, you know, we do, we do operate a lot off of, uh, sourced information and tips and, and people saying, Oh no, this is the information that was out there. You know, there's a ton of information. We probably, you know, this stuff that we, we miss um, because of everything that just keeps piling on top of it. Do you know what the police feel about these three? Do you know how they feel? Well, from what we know, I believe that the loon three has not been officially determined persons of interest, but we can't say that they're not. We do know that they've been looked into. And if to say that they're persons of interest because they were looked into, then yes, at one point they were, but we're not sure exactly where the police stopped because they couldn't move any further or where they stopped because, oh, these guys are just like strictly innocent. Okay, so before we play the Facebook Live audio, we really only have a couple more topics here. And one of them was a very uncomfortable conversation that Maggie and Art had with Fred Murray. They talked about um, the potential of Fred sexually abusing Mora. Now, as far as what fred said i thought it was pretty good you know he was he was pretty insulted i think originally like at first he was kind of shocked that maggie asked him that um but i think he answered it well and i think he you know i believe him and everything you know i remember when maggie told us that she had to ask him that question and she described his reaction and they didn't do any creative editing there that was the reaction that she described that he had and I would say if you had any question about whether or not Fred abused any of his kids, watch his reaction. He is, first of all, a little bit dumbfounded. Almost like when you tell somebody a joke and they they don't get it. And then they're like, what? Like, they're trying to figure out the joke. Um, and then he realizes she's serious. And then she has to say, I have to ask you this. The whole... The whole 
chain of events with that short conversation that they had, you watch that. I think you can make your make up your own mind based on that reaction. I don't. It, it, I I don't think I've ever seen anything, and I know I'm probably going to get a lot of crap for this. I don't think I've seen something as genuine from from a direct question from the the answer of a direct question. I I saw that and I said that's about as genuine as I've ever seen. It was it was it was shock, it was disbelief, and then he started to get angry. Like, how could you even do that? How could you ask that? And and it didn't it didn't seem contrived at all right. in the, it, at all. And and couple that interview with a clip from episode four that's out there on Oxygen site now. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's really heartbreaking to watch Fred talk about um, how he misses Mora and the memories of them playing in the front yard and climbing the tree and things like that. And it's is really hard to watch. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't know how you watch Fred's reaction to that difficult question and, and take anything else than what you just said. And it almost will make you a bit angry as well because it's like Fred was about the best father he could be to his children. People's parents get divorced all the time. Fred and his wife were estranged. They were going through they were going through a, a rough relationship. And if I always come back to the uh if Mora wasn't missing, if she was here, then we wouldn't think like think about that. What he did to keep his family together. He he was he he saw that his daughters had ability in athletics and he pushed them to excel. I don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with taking your daughters uh, or all of your kids out camping. And if you want to pitch a tent and you're, you're, you cook dinner and then you go to sleep in the tent outside, I, I wouldn't see a problem with that at all. But you throw in this, well, she's missing and, and he was, he was you know, overly um, demanding of his kids. And you paint this picture of this like, you know, this monster of a person who just demanded, demanded, demanded. And I mean, you know, like we've been working on this for a little bit for (laughs) a few years. Right. And there are times when you do get caught in thinking that these things could happen just because you're so influenced by all these outside sources, all the, all this outside influence. But when you just look at it and it was a father who was keeping his family together and his, his children had ability and athletic ability. If your kid has music ability, you make sure that they they practice piano. If your if your child has track ability, you make sure they run. If their time is this, you make sure they want to beat their time. Yeah, and Fred Fred says it in the interview. He said, you know, if a kid likes something, you push them to do it because they like it. They they'll enjoy it. You know, right. and they could be good at it. Right. Why would you do anything otherwise? So if you want to read a little bit more on this, uh, Renner has a statement out on his blog about this. And in fairness, uh, Fred has Fred Murray has a statement out as well, and that's on John Smith's blog. And we'll link to both of them in the show notes if you want to look at both of them. We feel uh, we need to uh, address both of them if we talk about one of them. So, 
Okay, so let's play the Facebook Live audio, Lance, and thank you everybody for listening. We will be back next week with another one of these to talk about episode four. So check out episode four this Saturday night on Oxygen at 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay, thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc. Thank you very much. Hey everybody, welcome. I am Tim. This is Lance. We are here. Uh, we are of the Missing Maura Murray podcast, and we are here doing this Facebook Live chat after episode three of the disappearance of Maura Murray aired on Oxygen. And what an episode that was. Again, they just continue to start you off in one place, and by the time the episode is done, your 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 brain has totally been turned around. It's there's a lot of information. I love the way they're delivering it too. I agree. I, I can hardly even remember the beginning of the episode. By the time it gets to the end, it's your brain is is all over the place. Right. It's like you got to take notes for it. So uh, hey guys, everyone seems to be uh, joining on here. Hi Holly. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are joining on. Hi John. Um, okay, so in the episode today, we started off with Kathleen um, fi- finishing the interview with Kathleen. And so it seems like Maggie, Art, and Evie, everyone thinks that Kathleen has... Has nothing to do with Mora's actual disappearance, right? And doesn't know anything. And doesn't really... And doesn't know anything, but... About where Mora went or what, or that the my sister comment like like th- that's the point that i think is important here that more is my sister comment the night she made that comment at work it does not mean that kathleen knows where Mora was heading or anything right and it was very courageous of kat to even do this interview um you know you have you have somebody who is a, a body language expert talking about someone who, uh, who is you know she's talking she's revealing things about her sister and the relationship she had with her sister so it she is going to be stiff and uncomfortable um however cat has a lot of unfounded guilt and and anger she even says that she has dreams and in her dreams she's angry about more like how could you do this to us but she has a lot of guilt that i feel like she she puts on herself like she's compelled to have this this guilt and that that makes her seem a little bit more you know like she stands out a little bit more as someone like does she know anything more but honestly if you put yourself in in her position she feels bad she feels bad she feels guilty and she feels angry and she, you can't determine how someone's going to act based on that. How would you not have guilt if it's your family member or your friend even or your daughter? Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine the entire family has guilt because they think, wow, if I did something different, maybe this could have prevented Mora from taking this trip to New Hampshire and maybe that could have prevented Mora from going missing. Right. 13 years of what ifs. Yeah, you can really drive yourself crazy, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Hello from Texas. Dora, hello from Texas. Well, hello. Hope you're doing well in Texas. So um, they, they also talked to Fred Murray in this in, in this uh, episode. Pretty tense, some tense moments, I would say, with Fred. Um, I was surprised that Fred said that he kind of liked Bill um, because basically everything else that had come out from, from Kat and Julie was, you know, this guy I'm not really sure about, whatnot. And Fred actually said, uh, Tony here says, Fred said Mora's car was not drivable. Uh, yep, he said that Mora's car was not drivable. And 
that is that is pretty accurate. The car the car was drivable, but it wasn't. I mean, she obviously made it up to that point, mm. but it was on it was on its last legs. Uh, it, yeah, not not drivable and not you know not functioning is two different things. He didn't want his daughter in a car like that. Right, right. If, you know, you're you're that you're a dad. You definitely want your daughter to be driving a safe vehicle, and he did not feel that 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 vehicle was safe at the time. So he explained that he went to several different ATMs to get uh, money out, $4,000, in fact, to buy a new car for Mora. Right. And he said that they didn't do it. They didn't have enough money, enough cash. He said his normal bank was in Connecticut. So that's why he stopped at several different ATMs. And ATMs have limits on on what you can withdraw. Right. John Newman says, uh, do you guys believe that Maggie and Art really debunked James Renner's theory in this episode after speaking with the clerk in Canada. Um, I don't I don't think anyone's looking to debunk anything. I think uh, Maggie and Art are performing an investigation and doing the necessary follow-up. And based on what they found, I think they came up, came up with a conclusion that seems reasonable that after at that point, after 10 years, they were showing a picture that was 10 years old. It's really tough to say that this person that they saw in that picture was was Mora. They looked at a picture of a brunette young woman with dimples smiling. I can't imagine how many of those they get over the course of, you know, over the course of a week or or a month or or a year, yeah. let alone 10 years. You're you're talking about the people in the record store after speaking or... with the clerk in Canada. Okay. I'm assuming that he meant the record store clerk. Yeah, those are the only people uh yeah. they they spoke to in Canada. So we were there, you know, I I was I met those people too. I was there in at right. that record store. You know, they they did not say that Mora looked familiar at the time. They said, no, no, actually. They said, you know, they, they emailed about two weeks later, they emailed James Renner and said, actually, I think we might have known this woman or we might, we might have recognized this woman. But again, as you saw in the episode, the flyers that we were showing people, they were flyers from 2004. I mean, it was a picture from 2004 or earlier. So Mora wouldn't have looked like that now or in 2013 Absolutely. when we yeah. were in Canada doing this. And also, I just want to bring out a couple of facts about um, crossing the Canadian border. When we went to Canada with James Renner, we are, you know, it was James, you, myself, our camera guy, Josh. We had uh, Pelican cases with equipment in the in the vehicle and they pulled us over and they searched the vehicle and they talked to us. And we talk about this on the podcast and we, you know, it's not something that uh, that that's that people don't know about. I'm not, I'm not revealing new information here, but um, they don't take it lightly. And especially right after 2001, this is 2004 if you're driving through the if you're crossing um continental borders they're mm. they're not taking it that lightly if if mora was driving her car through there and she had someone else with her maybe they got through mm-hmm. without the car being checked we as far as we know she had a bunch she had alcohol in the car that's they would have had to have confiscated alcohol if, if it was in the car they have to check these things when they go through it's not as easy as people make it out to be mm-hmm. um so, yeah, let's explain the situation, what happened when we went through the border, which was in 2013. They they stopped us. They, I mean, we had camera equipment and we had missing flyers. So they they sensed something was weird. You know, they, they pulled us out. We were we were sitting in in their waiting room, I guess you want to call it, for like 20 minutes or so. And then they came up to us and said, who is Maura Murray to you? Also, there's documentation. There's there's uh 
there's cameras there. You can mm. look at license plates. It's not that easy to just cross through the border, especially back then. Everyone was really hot on, um, on, uh, on uh, after 2001. Like all of that tightened up. I remember before that you can go through with just your license. You didn't even mm. need a passport. Right. Um, but everything had tightened up since then. And it's really hard for me to believe that she would be traveling in tandem with alcohol at that time of night through the border and there wouldn't be anyone who comes forward and says anything about that. Yeah. Maria says the story of the young men from Loon. Wow. And so this is something that they touched on in the end of the episode, that there were three men who worked at Loon Mountain, which is, what is it, 12, somewhere somewhere between 10 and 20 miles uh, from the accident site. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that they did not show up to work the night that Mora went missing. And so maybe they would have been traveling on that road. Um. It's tough to really speculate on that, but it is shady. I mean, it's a it's a shady sounding story, at least, right? right. Who know any number of things could have happened that day or the days before to prevent those three men from going to work that night, right? But exactly, it sounds suspicious. It does sound suspicious, and in the context of what happened to Mora, you put that together, and yes, it sounds suspicious. Um, this isn't just bringing up another red herring, as we've seen with the way the show has been going. Yeah. Red herrings are brought up, and then they're kind of systematically dissected and dismissed if they have to be. Yeah. So this red herring's coming up, and I hate saying red herring, but it's the only thing that I can, it's the only word I can use. The, the only well, I don't I know, we don't know if it's a red herring. It's a thing. Right? Oops. It's a thing that's come up. Yeah. Um, and what 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 this show is going to do is is show why you will or won't want to follow up on this and yeah the the listening audience out there should should start thinking about you know these this this loon connection that is something to follow up on absolutely and jeff here says is that a theory that you guys have heard about or is that something that we've heard about and yes we we have heard of it we we hadn't heard them called the loon mountain three until uh, they brought it up on the show but yes we had heard of that Nancy says they never addressed the second police officer on the scene. And I mean the one Jeff Streslin spoke spoke to Mary Beth Conway about. So maybe that is something that will be upcoming in the series. I think I know who you're talking about. That's an interesting point there from Gina Marie saying how many women went missing from the area around the time Mora disappeared. Um, the most prominent case around that time period was Brianna Maitland uh, mm-hmm. in March. About six uh, weeks later. Yep. Uh, about 90 miles from where Mora went missing. Uh, there's always cases of people going into the mountains, going hiking, and um, and, and getting lost in the mountains. But uh, as far as we know, um, Brianna's the only other one that really stands out as mm-hmm. something that's similar and perhaps relatable. Yeah. Nancy again asks, why won't the New Hampshire State Police allow Cecil Smith to speak of the accident now? And I would say, stand by. It's keep... an open investigation, so well, we got to figure it out. I would just say keep watching. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a good point there from Amanda Davis, okay. uh, who says she went to Canada that night. Great point. Good point. Good point. Could have been any night. She didn't necessarily have to have alcohol in the car when she crossed the border. Yep. Um, but she obviously didn't take her car if she did. So the question is who 
whose car would right. she have been but in? But it's, it's that kind of thinking that I really like. Yeah, yeah. Well, instead the, of there's a, endless scenarios yep. if, if she's there. I mean, she could have walked over the border. I mean, we, we've heard. But from investigating the Brianna Maitland disappearance, we, we know that there's areas without fences in Vermont that connect into Canada, and you can just walk over sure. there. In fact, when we were in that area, our cell phones read, registered that we were in Canada. Oh, yeah. At some point, you'd take over a Canadian cell phone uh, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we were, we were like yeah. 100 yards or something from Canada without there being a border crossing right. there. So it but is possible. Sometimes we get so caught up in the uh, minutia of what we do that that kind of thinking, again, is what I like. Who says she went there that night? That's just this way of thinking that you know you just get too caught up in it sometimes and you need somebody with that uh that that perception to let you know let you know that there's another scenario there jason asks for a shout out from tim and lance and sorry we cannot give you a shout out sorry jason (laughs) um so uh so what about the the awkwardness with um with fred murray i mean pretty pretty gutsy of of maggie and and art to to bring up uh, talking about abuse allegations or insinuations or whatever you want to call it. Um, pretty tense, kind of uncomfortable moments while watching the episode tonight. Yeah, and that's legit. That was that was genuine stuff. Oh yeah, Fred was Fred was actually confused. Yeah, where this question came from. Yeah, and you know it's pretty obvious that he didn't uh, take a deep dive into James Renner's book. When, when he said, is that something that was insinuated, uh, you know, between the lines? Um, well, he was aware that it wasn't directly stated in the book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But the fact that that's kind of run, it's it's turned into its own monster. And, and I think he was genuinely shocked that now he has to, you know, it's out there. And now he has to defend that. Mm-hmm. What a weird thing that he's got to defend. And he says it. He's like, I don't want to do this. Now I have to do this. All I want is to figure out where my daughter is. And, and he's aware that when you defend yourself, it makes you feel like it, it, it gives you a guilty conscience. And we talked about this last week. It, it makes you feel awkward. You feel like you're defending yourself against something that you don't think people would even think about you. Obviously, it made Fred very awkward. You could see it, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's see. From Gina, have we heard any word on why they aren't releasing the footage of the ATM? And we haven't really heard any word on that, but I would say stay tuned, stay tuned. on that one. Yep. Do you think, from Jesse, do you think Mora was murdered or went into hiding? Honestly, both both scenarios seem unlikely, but when you look at this case, every scenario is unlikely. So I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really it's tough a, one to say. It's a tough question. It's an easy question to ask, but it's yeah. a tough question to answer because you can come up with some really good uh, evidence for both things. Yeah. All right. From Lara, they didn't have enough money for a car. What about financing, putting money down? That didn't make sense. And I I don't know. The, the only thing I know about Fred is that he is extremely, like, an old school guy and it's cliche at this point because we say it all the time about Fred, but he seems to have wanted to pay cash for a car. Right. I've been with someone who paid, who bought a car with $4,000 in cash. Exactly. So it's not completely, it's not something that doesn't happen. 
Right. And I remember getting my first car, my couple first cars that, that I had. And it's always preferable for the uh, parents to um, they 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 want to they want to put the majority of the money down. They want to buy a car. They don't there if if his if Mora is in school and she has to pay attention to her schoolwork and she has to do what she needs to do to be successful. I could see him saying, listen, I just want to buy a car outright. I don't want to have you like make payments on it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have you ruin your credit possibly because you don't you know, you might not be able to make the payments. So if I can find a car for about four grand, let's go buy a car for four grand right. and look at the car dealerships in the area there. It's those. um uh, there are major car dealerships, but there are a ton of those little like garage dealerships that you can go and you can buy a car for twenty five hundred bucks or forty five hundred dollars or whatever, and you can just pay for it outright. So I feel like that was the uh, intention was not to go finance a car. Also, it, they wouldn't have been doing that on the weekend anyway. You know, the intention was to go buy a car. There's a, a woman who's in college who, who isn't really driving too far with it, so it's not necessarily something that you know she needed a brand new car for or even you know a, a ten thousand dollar car right uh sarah here says what initially got you guys interested in this case i would say it's too long of a story right now so if you want to check out the podcast yeah we go then... into that in depth in episode 55 i yep. think it is uh, a new intro but yeah basically we started a documentary about um about the people who are obsessed with this case and then we became obsessed ourselves uh, and Jeff actually said earlier that he got into Canada in 2005 with just a birth certificate. He was with a bunch mm. of guys, got in with a birth certificate. Um, so maybe it does come down to where you cross. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe some of them are more strict than others. Right, but there are always cameras. So Should be. Yeah, but obviously you're not talking more on Murray's license plate. So, who I mean, who knows whose vehicle it would have been. Yep. From Tony, has anyone ever looked into the bus driver? Yes, Definitely. People have looked into the bus driver, Butch. Uh, in fact, he was given two lie detector tests, um, but he is unfortunately deceased at this point. So even if you were guilty, there's nothing we could do about it now. But I think it's maybe a stretch to call him guilty at this point. Let's let's see what happens in the next three episodes. I don't right. know. If he got away with doing something to Mora, then that means he got away with, you know, he, he lied to the cops. He lied to his... Uh, his common-law wife. There's a lot of people that he would have lied to to get away, like, clean. From Julie, do you think Mora was involved in the hit-and-run? I think Julie is talking about the hit-and-run at UMass with Patrit Vassi. Oh, right. With Patrit, who uh, who was struck by a car and ended up in a coma. No, we don't think that that was uh, anything that Mora was involved in. From Gina, any more on the neighbors in the series? That's what's probable to me. Also, you say in the first episode they are shady or could have things to hide. Uh, of course, a- anybody could ha- could have things to hide. Um, I-, I don't know what, what is coming up in the series. All we know that's coming up in the series is what we've filmed with them. And I would say, I don't know if there's anything with the neighbors. Probably nothing that we filmed with them is relating to the neighbors. Yeah, there's a whole... Um way of thinking up there uh if you go up there if you've moved up there you go there to be isolated you mm-hmm. go there to um get away from the attention and one of our one of our friends who's on the boards here actually said if because everyone makes a big deal about the westmans being secretive and not cooperative and while all that's true um 
it would be weirder for them to suddenly come forward with a, with uh, a bunch of information. What they're doing is just um, they are they they are uh, behaving the way they're expected to behave. They, that's the way they've always been behaving up there. Yeah. So what's weird to us or what's suspect to us is normal to them. They they don't want people on their property. They don't want to be asked questions. They saw what they saw. They did what they did. Um, you know, Faith called the police. You're right. It's, right. You know, she did what she had to do. Uh, what happened after that is out of her hands. And right. that's what that's how they think. And law enforcement says very clearly that if you call the police, almost always you are not involved in the incident that you call about. That is just playing the odds, not saying you don't look at someone because they call the police, but typically that's right. what the case is. From Gina, if she is alive and comes forward, could she still remain unknown or would police have to announce it to the family? That's a really good question. I don't know. That's a great question, though. It is. It's a, it's a very strong point. Because what do you what, – what's the basis of, of – saying like releasing it to the family if she disappeared when she was an adult right. and she didn't commit any crimes and she wants to be off the grid what's what would be the reason for the police telling the family other than hey you looking into this is wasting resources In the episode tonight, they, they talked about the allegations that Maura was running from the men in her life, and Maggie and Art said that what they've found so far through three episodes lacks motive to run away forever. You know, and and the woman at the very end of the episode I thought was very interesting, Elizabeth Greenwood. Uh, she is a, an expert. She wrote a book on if you were to escape your life. Thought that was very interesting. She said to pull off a disappearance, it takes years to plan. Not not days, not hours, right. not months, not Friday morning. Years. Um, and she says that typically people get caught when they because they can't stay away from their family or friends. They, right. And then you look at um, you look at Morris family dynamic, and you look at what was going on with Morris family at the time. So the family dynamic was, although her parents were um, estranged, uh, it they still had a close connection to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really hard for me to think that Maura didn't reach out to somebody while her mother was going through her sickness and when she died on Moore's birthday. How do you not reach out to the family when that happens? The coincidence of that happening and you still say, stay silent is extremely, uh, extremely strange. It's such a huge life event when your yep. mom passes away. So yeah, it's, it's something that I find hard to believe that Maura could, um, not speak to her family during that time. Yeah. Uh, Jacqueline here says, does old Peter's road get plowed? Wouldn't think she'd choose an unplowed road. Um, well, as far as we know, it gets plowed up to a certain point. There was probably um, uh, a layer of snow coverage on the road. That that dilapidated uh, little shack that was there, that dilapidated house. Um, if you were to run down there, if you were to run from the scene, I mean... Um, that seems like the most logical, like you go up and you take a left. We've said it since the first time we've been there, which was December of 2013, that 
if if I were in the situation and I'm trying to get out of this area right now, that's where I'm going. Yep. But Maggie in the show had a great point. It's like, why would you leave somewhere dangerous to go somewhere potentially, potentially even more dangerous. dangerous or just as dangerous? It's yep. freezing, you know. Yep. And if you are running, what are you running from? You know, if you're running down that road, what are you running from? The cops because you were drinking? Wouldn't you, there's there's too many scenarios for a smart person, which Mora was, to suggest otherwise. Right. A smart person is not running into the into the February woods. I would I would I would assume. Right. Um, from Melissa, do you think the age progression looked right? We know she always wore her hair up. Plus, Julie's face is not that round. It looked wrong to me. It looked yeah it. I thought I was going to go in another direction. It's really, I mean, you know, it's it's really hard to predict what, how, what Mora would look like. So they, they had experts do this. Uh, didn't look like what Mora would look like to me now, but obviously, I don't know what she would look like today. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a it's a really good point. I'm not sure. I have no idea what to what to say. It, I, I guess it didn't look that right to me either. I know. I'm just saying from my gut, it was yeah. like, oh, that's not what I would have thought. Right, and you and that's a good point. You look at Julie's uh, face structure. You look at Fred Junior. You look at Fred. It's not round. It's there's more of a oval shape to it. There's more of a jawline. Yep. From Johnny, have we spoken to the EMT Dick guy? Interviewed by Maggie tonight at the end of the episode. We have not spoken with Dick. But I think it's his his story is very interesting. He's you know the one who noticed the rag, basically him and his partner. Maria there saying how extensive was the search of the surrounding area? Do you guys think it was thorough? Did the cops drop the ball? This is something that we talk about. Um, you know, we touch on uh, a few times. I think the search of the area area was as thorough as as it should have been at the time. The, these police officers deal with abandoned cars a lot, and the majority of those abandoned cars come back to someone who was drinking and driving and left the scene and came back when they were sober and collected their car after. That's a very common thing from what we've heard. Um, and everyone gives the police a lot of a lot of crap about botching the, the, the search. Three days after, they had helicopters, they had infrared, they, they were in the woods... I think I think it played out the way it was going to play out inevitably initially mm-hmm. that they they were going to say there's alcohol in the car this car's abandoned it's pretty obvious that someone probably walked away from the car to sober up and not yeah. get a not get a drunk driving charge once once the information came in once they figured out who was uh, the owner of the car once all of the phone calls were made the search started I think they did the best job they could have done being a four member police squad Searching, Within the first, like, three or four days. Searching the surrounding area yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Um, I thought it was really interesting when Art said in the conversation with us that he had he was a dispatcher when he first started in law enforcement. And it's not necessarily something that you would just write man in the car smoking cigarette. It's funny, right? Yeah. It, it seems very specific. Yeah. And the the only thing that I can think of is what you'd mentioned, which was... Maybe it was the dispatcher just taking liberties, but Art saying, well, that doesn't seem like it's as a dispatcher, you you should be as detailed as possible and not take liberties. Right. But, right, you know, right. you're, you're not to, I don't want to seem like I'm talking down to anybody, but there's probably a difference between where Art did his dispatching and 
the Haverhill Police Department. Are you talking down to me? What I'm saying is it could have been one of many calls that that dispatcher took that night. Yeah. And and was like, oh, she said, Faith said, I see a glow in the car, maybe a cigarette. So the dispatcher could have just shorthanded man in car smoking cigarette. What Art said is basically every time I try to justify it, though, yeah, every time I try to justify it, it sounds like that shouldn't have happened. (laughs) I want I want to dismiss the cigarette man thing, but every time I try to, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully, there'll be more info as we go along. From Johnny, were there any footprints around the vehicle in the snow? And yes, around the vehicle there yeah. were f- footprints, but not going into the woods, as uh, most that that would be your follow up or most people's follow up. Could she have hidden in someone's shed, Melissa? Could she have hidden in someone's shed, garage, etc.? Absolutely, that little house down Old Peter's Road she could have ducked into if she'd known that it was empty. Um, other than that. It'd be pretty tough for her to have gone into a shed or a garage without there being footprints leading to the shed or garage. Yeah. And that old dilapidated house is is very odd um, because when you were in there, right? So yeah. there's there were newspapers that were – there were stacks of newspapers that led up to – was it March of 2004? Yeah, March of 2004. There were newspapers and magazines. Um, when you walk into the to that house, it looks like – and I say this a lot, but this is the case. It looks like a family had a dinner, put the dishes in the sink, and then said, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. It There's still uh, clothes in the drawers, clothes in the closets. There was still uh, shampoo in the shower, um, all while the house is falling down around everything. Right. Um, the calendar, I believe, was... was uh, 2005 2004 2005 it was definitely recently right yeah. after 2004 was, yep. was we actually there's a shot of it in our trailer i think it's if i'm not mistaken it's march of 2004 yeah. Yeah. was the last newspaper or magazine accumulated in that house um so just a couple more questions here and then we got to get out of here aren't 911 calls recorded uh yes they are um and that was one of the things that we really pushed for in this show is if if they could get those 911 calls, we thought that that would be very helpful. I don't know that they got them. Um, Again, I, yeah. It yeah. could be a stay tuned type thing. That it, would... it could be coming up in the series. Yeah. We do not know. Yeah. Um, and then Gina says uh, here, which way were the footprints? I want to be clear. Um, we don't know. There's yeah, no they were direct, around the a, car. It was around the car. So when you uh, look at Faith's account of what she saw, she says that there was a flurry of activity in the trunk. Um, at the trunk. Yeah, at the trunk. So there's 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 footprints around the car. I don't believe that there was anything found in any direction. Um, once you get onto the road, the road was clear. So there was no, um, no footprints on the road. Uh, and the car was drivable. Right. I really liked when Maggie said about Butch, the bus driver, that he's either an unreliable witness or he's hiding something. I think that's a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because his story isn't accurate, you know. Th- there are accounts of his story that that vary. I don't know. I would say, I'd say his story is has actually. I'd say his story is pretty is pretty consistent. It's just the interpretations that have been taken from it. I don't know about that. I'm going to challenge you on that. All one. right. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can maybe next episode of the podcast, but I feel like his story has always been pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think they. I think his story has changed. I feel like we've talked about that on the podcast in the past. Hmm. Interesting. 
Well, something to get into. Uh, something to get into later on. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the next three episodes. We will probably be back at some point doing <laughs> another one of these. Stop fighting. Um, we will probably be back at some point doing another Facebook Live chat. I don't think we're back next week. I'm not 100 percent sure though. But uh, thank you very much for listening and asking questions. We really appreciate it. Please enjoy episode four, five, and six. And I just want to say one more quick thing. All of the information that's been gathered by this show, all of the investigation that's going on is being delivered in uh, the best way that the production company sees fit. I mean, they only have 45 minutes or so to to deliver this information. So... Um, Take it for what it is now. Don't 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 start getting too emotional about it uh, in episode one, two, or three. Keep watching. It's going to be something where once the final episode is done, you want to process that and you want to consider everything. Um, they 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 need to they need to feed the information the best way they see fit. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.